hope the president is there on inaugural day. Really capturing the moment of why a transition of power is so important to our nation. It sounds like he's planning to run again. Do you know if that's a fact? I haven't spoken to him about that again. Um, his campaign is pursuing litigation. I would redirect you to the campaign. Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. And joining us today is Jim Bendat, a presidential historian and author of the book Democracy's Big Day, the Inauguration of Our President, 1789 to 2013. Jim, welcome to Political Theater. Thank you, Jason, for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, this is. I think this is going to be fun. Um, let's talk a little bit before we get into what we might expect uh, in in January uh, with the inauguration about how you got involved in this in this topic. You're a, a lawyer by training, and uh, just from from some of the tidbits on on the, about the book and so forth, it's it seems like you you got interested in this kind of in the way that people get interested in in almost like sports, uh, which fits perfectly because sports is kind of uh, or, uh, politics is like sports for geeks, right? <laughs> Like, uh, like us. <laughs> That's right. Well, sports did, did have a lot to do with it, actually. I, um, I've had a hobby ever since I was little, collecting sports programs. You know, you go to a game, you buy a program. Well, within my sports program collection, I had a couple of presidential inauguration programs that people had given me. And then when I discovered eBay in 1999, one day I typed in the word inauguration and all these old programs came up. So I decided, well, that, that could be something new to add to my collection. I started bidding on them or buying them and acquiring them and reading them. And once I, once I really delved into it and was reading the, the materials, I learned all this great trivia, lots of great vignettes. And I realized, whoa, I'm, I think I have something here which, which I can put together to make for a fun book. I'd, I'd written a lot of columns, op-eds, and so on over the years. I'd always wanted to write a book, but I only wanted to do it if I had a unique topic, and I, I, I found my topic. You did. I mean, among some of the things um, that that you you know discussed in kind of we're, we're going to get into some of the more you know the weird and strange kind of things. But your post uh, um, op-ed a couple of years back uh, in 2017 that you you wrote right before Donald Trump was inaugurated, you talked about some of the myths uh, about inaugurations, such as that uh, that's a peaceful transfer and and um, you know people get along and all this kind of stuff. And it's it's a, it's it was a great read uh, to sort of bust uh, some some of those myths uh, open. Um, what do you think, I mean, keeping that in mind, that we we just make an assumption that, you know, that there will be this peaceable transfer. I mean, you know, President Obama had spent years listening to Donald Trump question where he was born and so forth, and yet they had a, a fairly peaceable transfer of power. Um, looking at the uh, coming inauguration, what do you think, uh, I mean, how, how do you think that that fits into what we might expect on January 20th as Joe Biden uh, prepares to take the oath of office? We are certainly getting a strong feeling that the traditions that have been going on for as long as any of us have been alive are not going to be followed this year. Yeah. We, I felt like that was certainly a possibility because of the pandemic, but now it's more than the pandemic. Um, in the early morning hours on Inauguration Day, by tradition, the old and the new presidents get together. The, the incoming president goes to the White House. They have coffee together. They have some pastries. They schmooze. And then they drive together the, to the Capitol. Well, because of the pandemic, I was thinking, well, maybe they might not want to have that kind of a get together. 
Maybe they might not want to drive together. Okay, but then it's now, what we're hearing now is that it could be a lot more than that. Trump might not even show up at Biden's inauguration. And if that's the case, it would be the first time in more than 150 years that an outgoing president did not make an appearance at his successor's inauguration. That would really defy tradition. And let's talk about some of those presidents, those outgoing presidents who did not show for the uh, for for their successors uh, swearing in. Well, there are only three in our whole history. John Adams didn't show up. He um, he actually likened his appearance to uh, showing up at Thomas Jefferson's inaugural in 1801 to be comparable to King George III showing up at George Washington's inauguration in 1789. He just thought it, it, it wasn't gonna have any part of it. It was the first big change of power in Washington. Both mm -hmm. Washington and Adams had been Federalists. And now we had a new party taking over. And so we had that conflict. And then in, in 1829, John Adams' son, John Quincy Adams didn't show up for the inauguration of Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson was a real outsider coming into Washington from the plains. And, but his, a lot of his supporters had raggedy clothes. They even had a famous incident at the White House on Jackson's inauguration day where they trampled the White House with their muddy boots. So basically you had a situation where John Quincy Adams felt that Jackson and his supporters were a bunch of lowlifes and he didn't want to deal with them. So it runs in the family with the Adams folks. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, the, both the father and the son. And then in 1869, that was a little bit of an unusual situation. We had um, we had Andrew Johnson giving way to Ulysses S. Grant, and um, they didn't get along at all, really. Um, Andrew Johnson had been a lifelong Democrat, but because uh, Abraham Lincoln had wanted, wanted to unify the country. He had picked Johnson to be his running mate in 1864. So you sort of had a, you had a Republican and a Democrat running together. They won. Lincoln gets assassinated. Suddenly Johnson, who's a, who wasn't even a true Republican, suddenly becomes president. Well, now in 1868, when the election next election year comes up, Grant gets the party's nomination as a Republican. Johnson considers running as a Democrat, his original party, but he doesn't get that nomination either. So they didn't get along. Um, neither of them wanted to get into the carriage together. So Grant traveled to the Capitol by himself and Johnson stayed back at the White House. It's, it's interesting, the, the Andrew Johnson uh, aspect of it, too, because he he like like Donald Trump uh, was impeached by the House, uh, uh, was narrowly evaded being removed uh, from office by the Senate. So if Trump does follow through uh, and, and does not attend, uh, he'll have a couple of parallels to to Andrew Johnson, not a, not exactly the most popular president uh, in, in our history. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I I. I'd wondered about some of the coronavirus, you know, protocols too. Um, you know, the White House seems to be going ahead with a lot of their holiday planning, um, even with the sort of string of outbreaks that they've had with the coronavirus. Um, but uh, it, it sounds like the the Biden folks might might be a little more careful about that too. So. Uh, who, who knows? Um, so uh, along these lines, too, um, what do you think are like. You know, the, we've had I, I and I 
I apologize for not knowing the exact number. Is it? Will this be the 59th uh, inauguration coming up? Uh, how many of these were represent real big departures or pivot points from past, um, uh, you know, past practice? I mean, it, in in 1801, you know, the republic was fairly new, and and so you know, like the the one you mentioned with Adams not showing up with with Jefferson, obviously is a as you know. It, it was a departure from, you know, like didn't, didn't seem that peaceful. And, and the Johnson grant thing is kind of fascinating too, but what are some of the big moments that represent, you know, uh, just a, a change or, or something that we, we should take notice of when considering previous inaugurations uh, as a sort of a guide to them? I believe that anytime you have a change of power from Democrat to Republican, Republican to Democrat, that's a big deal. But it's an even bigger deal uh, at, at certain times in our history, it's been a bigger deal. Right. Because of wars, because of depression. So you think back to Franklin D. Roosevelt when he came in in 1933, we had the depression going on and people were out of work and he really felt the importance of the situation. And, and he rose to the occasion during his inaugural address in trying to comfort the country and try to bring people together when he said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Of course, Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War, that's a great inauguration of significance because of what we were going through then. So um, those really stand out, um, the ones that have, have occurred during war, during depression. And then after a contentious election, it's also a big deal. And we had that most recently 20 years ago, after the very uh, dramatic situation where we didn't even get an election result for a month and a half. The U.S. Supreme Court decided that uh, George W. Bush was the victor over, over Al Gore. And that could have remained contentious, but unlike what we're seeing today, Al Gore, uh, possibly reluctantly, but he certainly did accept the result of the Supreme Court. And in his inaugural address, on January 20th of 2001, George W. Bush thanked Al Gore for ending the the uh, election cycle with grace. And and also Gore was on the stage too as as the sitting vice president. Um, I mean he he was on the stage. So there's uh, and, and you know, I think in even in some of the roll call uh, photo archives we've got uh, a, f a photo of them actually shaking hands. And it is this moment of of uh, of grace that is somewhat hard to imagine now almost. Yes, for sure. He acknowledged, he, uh, George Bush acknowledged Gore, but then four years ago, even though Hillary Clinton was right there on the stage, Trump never said a word about her. You know, this doesn't have it. This isn't so much a uh, a pivot point uh, in it, in it. Although Lincoln's second inaugural address is certainly an amazing speech, um, in, in in itself. Um, but it is also the the imagery from it to me is chilling because of so many of the people who were involved in. Um, you know, the sort of the, the assassination attempt and, and were either collaborators with Booth, uh, with John Wilkes Booth, who, who shot Lincoln, are in the audience. And, you know, there's a I, I uh, have a, a former uh, uh, boss, David Bradley, who uh, owned National Journal when I worked there. And he, he was something of a scholar of Booth and of inaugurations and so forth himself. And he had this photo and all the 
uh, you know, all the the people who are involved in the assassination kind of conspiracy are there. They're circled and they're within feet of Lincoln. It is just a chilling image. Yes, I've seen that photo. That's one of the early inauguration photos. The first one was in 1857. So that's just the third inauguration to be photographed. Wow. And uh, and you, you you also point out that like some of the in 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 your book uh, that um, sometimes presidential inaugurations can be tragic, uh, as in the case with William Henry Harrison, who caught a cold or pneumonia, you know, basically fell ill after his inauguration and was and was dead within yeah, a month. Yeah. Her guy was only president for thirty one days. So now so now we're talking about. I mean, you've probably heard some of the same uh, speculation that I have. The question of whether Trump will pardon people, whether he will pardon himself, or if he's thinking, I can't pardon myself, maybe I'll I'll just resign shortly before the inauguration and let Pence become president for a day or two, and uh, he'll pardon me. In which case, Pence would be president for the shortest ever. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even thought about that. We, we, we're already beginning to refer to Biden as the 46th president. That's um, true. If Pence suddenly <laughs> became president, for a couple of days, he'd be 46, and all the all the T-shirts and everything that they've already made for Biden with 46 on them would uh, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't work so well anymore. They'd they'd be in that uh, that bin of T-shirts of the 1986 Boston Red Sox World Series champions, <laughs> like right? They they'd go to some undisclosed country where uh, they turn it turn into rags or something. <laughs> um, what other inaugurations? Um, I mean, we we are dealing with this unprecedented pandemic, uh, and and it's affected the planning uh, already. Uh, there are certainly not going to be. We're not going to have these, um, you know, th- these huge crowds. Uh, they're going to try to dissuade as many people from showing up in the mall. That uh, they haven't constructed as many stands along Pennsylvania Avenue as they normally do for viewing for the parade. Um, what other were there other inaugurations uh, that where where they had to take into account, um, you know, a health crisis? I mean, I, I I mean, in 1919, the the flu had sort of run its course uh, for the most part. Uh, but were, were there any other? Was there anything like this in history where uh, inauguration planners had to worry about yellow fever or anything like that? No, nothing, nothing like this. Um, but the only thing that comes to mind where an inauguration got scaled down uh, because of an issue, what I, I would, I would uh, think about 1945, Franklin D. Roosevelt's fourth inauguration. He, was, he wasn't in the best of health at that point, and we, we were still in the middle of World War II. So the decision was made to really tone it down and not have the inauguration at the Capitol. Back in, up, in, up through 1977, the inauguration was actually held on the east side of the Capitol. Right. Um, only in beginning in 1981 did they move it to the West Front. But in 1945, it was just held on the White House lawn, on the, the South Portico, um, pretty much where uh, Trump recently had his... Uh, his, his helicopter moment. <laughs> his super spreader event for Amy Coney Barrett. Anyway... Right there on the South Lawn, that's where the Franklin D. Roosevelt's or Roosevelt Fort 1945 inauguration took place. Very few spectators. They were, you can see pictures of them uh, standing in the snow as FDR was sworn in for the fourth and final time. 
Yeah, it, it, it does seem that weather uh, always affects the, the inauguration. The first one that I attended, um, in, in part, I couldn't stay for the whole thing because it was just too cold, was 2009 was President Obama's inauguration, which was just— That's the coldest one I've been to. Yeah, oh. bone, bone-chilling cold. Um, the, I mean, the, I'd heard, you know, sort of this anecdote about um, before Kennedy's uh, swearing in in 1961 that they had uh, re- they had they had turned flamethrowers loose on the on the steps of the Capitol uh, to try to de-ice it, uh, which is a novel use for a flamethrower. Uh, and then in 1984, Reagan had to go move inside because the weather was so bad. <laughs> Just... Yes. Uh, 1985 was Reagan's second. And. Um, as you said, it was moved indoors into the Capitol Rotunda, very similar to what happened in 1909 with William Howard Taft. Very cold, uh, wintry day that day, and that one was moved inside into the uh, uh, Senate chamber. So uh, in 1833 also it was moved indoors. So a few times because of weather that's happened. And, so uh, Reagan, oh, go ahead, Reagan, in fact, in 1985, that was one of the years where Inauguration Day fell on a Sunday. So he had his private ceremony at the White House on Sunday, January 20th. And then the the public one was supposed to be outdoors the very next day, the 21st, but it got moved indoors. So he had back-to-back indoor inaugurations. Uh, I also that that brings to mind uh, from your uh, the, from from your sort of five myths about inaugurations uh, a piece that what my probably my favorite one which is the um, everybody assumes that Roosevelt is the only one to have been uh, t- taken the oath of office uh, four times but you uh, noted that yes um, FDR was actually tied by Barack Obama <laughs> because Barack Obama in 2009, he was sworn in publicly by uh, Chief Justice Roberts, but Roberts just botched the oath right and left, (laughs) mixing up the words, saying words in the wrong places. Um, Unfortunately, Obama repeated some of those same mistakes. Now he had already, he had been sworn in. They didn't need to do anything else, but then they used the old term, out of an abundance of caution, we're going to do it again. So the very next night at the White House, Roberts came on over, swore him in again. And then four years, so he's sworn in twice in 2009. Then four years later for Obama's second inauguration, he uh, again, it fell on a Sunday. So he had the private on Sunday at the White House, public on Monday, the 21st outdoors. So he had two in 2009, two in 2013, four total. He ties FDR. So we have talked about a lot of uh, strange uh, sort of um, uh, times, whether they're indoor or duplicative, uh, in, you know, kind of inauguration things or flamethrowers even, uh, or even assassins showing up. Uh, uh, what what are what other like just strange or bonkers moments uh, come to mind with the inauguration? I would immediately think of 1961, which is the first one I remember when I was a kid. Um, that was John F. Kennedy's inauguration and all sorts of crazy things happened there. Um, Lyndon Johnson botched the vice presidential oath. That happened uh, during the invocation. The invocation, there was Cardinal Cushing was delivering an invocation and the podium started to catch on fire. There's pictures of that. Uh, there's pictures of the smoke coming out. And Eisenhower, the outgoing president and Kennedy are both looking with concern over at the podium. You can see the smoke. So Marshall put it out. There was a short in the electrical system. Then there, and there was also on this at the same day, Robert Frost became the first poet to recite a poem at a presidential inauguration. And he had written 
a special poem for the occasion called Dedication. You mentioned the weather in Washington that day. It had, it, it, had, it had snowed, it was really cold, but the sun was bright. It was a bright sunny day, even though it was freezing. And the, uh, the, the reflection from the sun was creating a problem for Frost. Robert Frost, poor guy, couldn't read the words that he had written and he gave up and instead recited a different poem, one that he knew by heart. And so it's it's funny, like the, about that 1961 inauguration, you think, you know, you know, things like I, I mean, I was a political science major. I'm very much a consider myself a politics nerd. And uh, what I you know know about it off the top of my head was simply that Robert Frost was the first uh, poet and that Kennedy took his hat off. Uh, and but like I somehow missed that the place caught on fire. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it was the vice president, the new vice president, Lyndon Johnson who uh, used his hat to try to create some shade for Frost, but it didn't work. <laughs> Frost still gave up. He, and and it, not only did he do that, he also ded- said his, his uh, new poem was dedicated to the new president, Mr. John Finley. He had mixed up John Kennedy with a friend of his from Harvard, a scholar from Harvard named John Finley. So I, the way I like to tell that story is I, I like to say, Finley knew Frost. Finley may have been a friend of Frost. <laughs> But Finley was no Jack Kennedy. <laughs> That's great. Well, Jim, thank you so much for for walking us through uh, this uh, so, uh, sometimes solemn and often strange ritual we have of uh, presidential inaugurations. I look forward to whatever form this uh, this next one t- uh, takes, and uh, and I'm sure you do too. Definitely looking forward to it. I sure hope that there's a something in the, on the along the lines of a traditional. Uh, a transfer of power, but with Trump, you never know. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Political Theaters of Transition. On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thank you for listening. Thank you.